Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In Michel Foucault's essay, The Subject and Power, he tells us quite a lot about the trajectories and aims of his overall research projects in which he makes some pretty important contributions within the realm of social theory and arguably philosophy, particularly when it comes to our understanding of how power works and what power is. But he, he starts off by saying, my goal was not ultimately just to study power relations or power as such, the topic of power. It was to understand what it means to be human subjects. And so studying power and power relations is part of a, a bigger picture. What does he tell us about his focus on power relations and the study of power? Well, he says there's a lot of ways to go about examining this. And then he says, I would like to suggest another way to go further toward a new economy of power relations, a way that is more empirical, more directly related to our present situation, and one that implies more relations between theory and practice. Now this is, you know, quite a lot of advantages. So let's look at each of these in turn, a way that is more empirical. What does that mean? We can look at actual cases and instead of immediately projecting some sort of ideal theory or matrix onto them, we see what they actually reveal to us because we're talking about human subjects who will tell us all sorts of things about what's going on. Some of them quite false and ideologically motivated. Some of them perhaps closer to something like an ideal of truth, but looking at what actually is said, done, enacted, all those sorts of things. And then this other advantage, implying more relations between theory and practice. The goal of theorization is not just to come up with a notion of what power is so we can contemplate it in some old fashioned philosopher sense, but rather so that we can do things with it so we can have practices. It's not quite like Marx opined at one point in time, the clearly false statement that philosophers have been content to interpret or to understand or to look at the world. Now the goal is to change it, but there is some sort of connection between those. And it goes all the way back to thinkers like say Aristotle or Plato, for whom developing some understanding, some grasp on what's going on would inform what we do, what we choose, what we pursue in the present. So how does this new analysis work? He says that what we would do is take the forms of resistance against different forms of power as a starting point. So we get to see what power is not just by looking at how it's exercised, how it's justified, how it's understood by the powerful, but the resistances against it. It's, you know, if we want to use a metaphor here, we're sort of like seeing by throwing something out there into a room that at least in this point is not completely dark, but is certainly in shadow. And we see what pushes against the thing that we're throwing there. Or maybe we poke a stick in there, something like that, right? Except in this case, somebody's already poked sticks and we find people responding. So he says to use another metaphor, we're using it like a chemical cat 
catalyst so as to bring to light power relations, locate their position, find out their point of application, point d'appui in French, you know, where they actually grip. I, I like gripping point as a way to translate that. And the methods that are used. So, you know, this would not just be one overarching thing like, you know, a lot of people joke around about Foucault that he thinks everything is a prison. Prisons would be one domain in which we could do that. We could look at the disciplinary models and then how people push back against them, what resistances they have, not just the prisoners, but perhaps also the correctional officers and other people in the prison system. But then there's also all sorts of other things. You know, it's not quite true that the, the joke that Foucault looks at everything and sees a prison. No, there's the asylum, which is not quite the prison, the workhouse, which is something different. And if he were around today, he would probably be looking at the modern corporation under late capitalism and its permeation by all these other things, you know, like how capital flows into it and social media is used within it and all sorts of other technology. So long story short, he tells us rather than focusing on the internal rationality, we analyze power relations through the antagonism of strategies. And what does that mean? Again, instead of sort of taking a top down, what does the literature put out by, or the, you know, the, the official statements put out by those who have power and exercise it, examining it, maybe going behind the scenes a little bit and saying, oh, we, we, we know what the real logic is here. We want to do something that's a little bit more piecemeal and see how people push back. Antagonism is the fighting, the conflict. And they are often strategies, even though they may not be explicitly worked out strategies. So Foucault tells us then, and he gives us a listing here that's quite interesting. We're going to look at these features. Before that, he says, in order to understand what our society means by sanity, maybe we need to investigate what's happening in the field of insanity, what we mean by legality in the field of illegality. In order to understand what power relations are about, maybe we should invest the forms of resistance and attempt made to dissociate these relations. So he says, as a starting point, then let's take a series of oppositions that have developed over the last few years. Now he's writing this, you know, decades back. So what are these? Opposition to the power of men over women. We can call this, you know, the, the movement of feminism and feminist critique, right? And that would also include the power women also, privileged women exercise over other women, and we could make it much more complicated as well. But that's one that's still with us, right? Parents over children. That's another one that's been going on. Psychiatry over the mentally ill. Nowadays, we would not just say psychiatry. We would say psychiatry, psychology, counseling, you know, the mental health industry and, and all of that. Medicine over the population. Administration over the ways people live. And we could add further ones to this. And we might think about whether the ones we would add in the present would have these six characteristics that Foucault is going to to lay out for us. So he says, these are not just anti-authority struggles. It's not just like, screw authority, down with it. They all have some, some qualities or features in common. So what are they? Now, this is a very interesting one, the first one that he notes. They are transversal struggles, meaning that they're not limited to one country. 
And he says, of course, they can develop you know, more easily and to a greater extent in certain countries, but they're not confined to a particular political or economic form of government. So if we think about the various liberation or rights or equality movements, they aren't just located just in America or just in Brazil or just in India. Now, there will be some that are really very local and getting most of their notice just within that particular framework. But I would say today, even more so because of the capacity for news and journalism and social media to penetrate you know, worldwide, this transversality is even more pronounced. The second one is that they, as he says, they target power effects as such. So he uses the medical profession as an example. The medical profession is criticized not primarily because it's a profit-making concern, but because it exercises an uncontrolled power over people's bodies, their health, and their life and death. And, you know, you could say, well, actually, in a lot of cases, we are criticizing how they're making their money and turning people, you know, here in the United States, this may be unfamiliar to people worldwide. Here in the United States, we don't have a healthcare system. We have this incredible patchwork of much of it for profit with highly inflated prices for the equipment being used and hospitals billing people in all sorts of crazy ways, turning over accounts to collection agencies. There is this vast complex that you can say, but it's not an, a system as such. And a lot of people are criticizing it precisely because it is so much about making money and also about liability. But you can say, well, what's the telos? What is the greater purpose that is being complained about. It's not producing health, or if it is, it's producing health at the expense of other things, at the expense of, say, personal freedom. And so we could go on and on with other examples, but let's, let's look at the next one. He also says, these are immediate struggles, and he puts it into quotes, for two reasons. What are the two reasons? In such struggles, people criticize instances of power that are the closest to them. They don't look for the chief enemy, but the immediate enemy. So they're not, if we want to use the you know, example coming from anti-American and also anti-Soviet stuff, we don't just look at the great Satan, we look at the one who's right there governing and keeping people from being able to exercise their religious liberties or things like that in Middle Eastern countries where you've got like a strong man setting up, you know, in a dictatorial government that's actually quite cruel to the people. So this is something that's really important. A lot of times social movements get bogged down because people will be like, you know, don't worry about the local thing, man. There's this bigger system and we got to like change the whole thing. And a lot of people, ordinary people generally are like, no, man, I want to focus on what's actually in front of me. I want to focus on, let's say it's policing. I want to focus on the dirty cops in, in my environment and not just on policing in general and trying to bring the Department of Justice in. I want to actually produce some change here. Or if it's about doctors and medical complexes, I want to focus on this healthcare provider and what they've been doing and, and why it's wrong. So that's one sense of immediate. And then he says, nor do they expect to find a solution to their problem at a future date. That is liberations, revolutions, end of class struggle. They are looking for some change in the present. It doesn't have to be utopian change, but they want to see something happening. So those are three important features. And then Foucault goes on and he says, these are not the most original points, meaning that there'd be a lot of other things that would have these in common as well. 
Instead, he says, the following to me seem more specific. So we're getting closer to the heart of what he's after. He says, they are struggles that question the status of the individual. What does he mean by that? He says, the individuals assert the right to be different and underline everything that makes individuals truly individual. On the other hand, these struggles attack everything that separates the individual, breaks their links with others, splits community life, forces the individual back on themselves and ties them to their own identity in a constraining way. So it's really about the meaning of individuality. Whether people realize it or not, that's what's being enacted according to Foucault. And he goes on and he says, these are not for or against the individual as such. They're struggles against the government of individualization. So what does that mean? Well, there's certain ways, there's, there's individuals and then there's individualization where you can be sort of ratified as an individual. This way is okay, this way is not okay. And government does get in fact involved in that. So, you know, when we go and get a driver's license, for example, we are participating in one of these sort of governmentalities of individualization. You might say, well, that's pretty innocuous. Well, yes, but it ties you in with all these other things as well. We use driver's licenses for all sorts of other tasks. It's a form of ID that that we have to present at certain points. Getting a driver's license involves a whole certification process, right? So he goes on and he says, okay, there's a fifth feature. Their opposition to the effects of power linked with knowledge, competence, and qualification. Struggles against the privileges of knowledge. So that's an interesting feature as well. We always have the people who are established as not necessarily experts, but let's call them the the string pullers, the practitioners, the ones who actually get to decide. And it could just be that they happen to be in HR and they've taken a few seminars that if you looked at them in an educational way, you'd say, oh, this is really garbage stuff, but they're certified. They're the one who gets to decide whether you filled out the form properly or not. They are gatekeepers. So it's a struggle against them, but it's also a struggle against another issue of knowledge. He says, they are an opposition against secrecy, deformation, and mystifying representations imposed on people. People want to know what's actually going on. The lingo that you're using, what does it actually mean? Bureaucrats or CEOs or whoever else is the person who's being talked about. And they want more transparency. Now he says there's nothing scientistic in this, that is a dogmatic belief in the value of scientific knowledge, but neither is it a skeptical or relativistic refusal of all verified truth. What is questioned is, now here's the way that Foucault frames it, the way in which knowledge circulates and functions its relation to to power. And we might reframe this in terms of who actually gets access to the knowledge and who doesn't and how the knowledge gets transferred. You might think about the issue that's that's come up today, not just in, when I say today, I mean in, in the current press that we inhabit about police wearing their cameras and recording what's going on and keeping those cameras on. It's not so simple as, well, a a police person does something shady, questionable, brutal, and then we say, okay, let's check the film because you have to go and you have to apply for it. And some police departments have figured out, well, the way to make people not do that is you charge them a lot of money for that and say, well, we're respecting other people's privacy. It has to be redacted. These are all strategies by the powerful and people who don't have power are pushing back against this. And we could go on and on with all sorts of other examples. Here's where we get to the most interesting thing and where it becomes very directly philosophical. He says, all these present struggles revolve around the question, who are we? It's a question of identity. Who are we? Who are we as individuals? 
Who am I as this individual? Also, who are we as this group or community or whatever else is connecting us together? He says, these struggles are a refusal of these abstractions of economic and ideological state violence, which ignore who we are individually and also refusal of scientific or administrative inquisition that determines who one is. And we could probably add to that, and I think if Foucault were around in the present, sort of a commercial or corporate way of imposing identity on people as well. And so these are all central aspects of these recent oppositions. He goes on and he also says that the main objective of these struggles is to attack not so much such and such an institution of power, group or elite or class, but rather a technique, a form of power. That might seem to go a little bit against the immediacy of it. And I think what we have to assume here is that Foucault thinks that this is what's going on behind the scenes, even though people are articulating their responses in an immediate way in relation to what he's just talked about, an institution, a power, a group, an elite, a class. So he says, what is the form of power we're talking about? He says, the form of power that applies itself to immediate everyday life categorizes the individual, marks them by their own individuality, attaches them to their own identity, imposes a law of truth on them that they must recognize and others have to recognize in them. It is a form of power that makes individuals subjects. So we're looking at what he's going to call subjection here. That's the form or the technique of power that is being in some way resisted. You know, if we want to put it in really basic stuff, I'm not the form that you have in front of you on the computer that details, you know, what I am. I'll, I'll give you a prime example of one of my own experiences with this. You know, I've been teaching for 20 years, teaching online for eight years. And one of the institutions that I work for, very, very bureaucratic and in some respects dysfunctional. It's, it's not particularly well set up. And they have a certification office who I had to like get all these forms where I've taught and to, just to prove that I actually have the time in teaching. I mean, it wouldn't be hard for them to, to look it up just doing a little bit of Google searching, right? Especially in my case, since a lot of it's been filmed. <laughs> but you got to go through their procedures and the people in the office know that their procedures are cumbersome and don't make sense. And yet they're like, yeah, but you got to do it. And they don't want to hear you saying, can't we like work out something more reasonable? And there's things like that, that we encounter over and over and over again. Now notice what's going on there. I'm not just doing something purely external to me. I'm doing something that characterizes me as the individual who I am as somebody who is fit to enter their classrooms virtually or, or physically and, and teach classes. Something that the people running the mechanism of power know zero about, right? And we could come up with all sorts of other examples, but let's close on what he says here. Something that clarifies what we mean by subject. He says there's two meanings of the word subject. One is subject to someone else by control and dependence, right? So I am subject to somebody. I am somebody's subject. And we can think about when we're looking at what he's calling the scientific or administrative inquisition, I am being subjected in the sense like I'm a bug under the microscope or a human being under the scrutiny, right? The other is tied to a person's own identity by a conscience or self-knowledge, by 
agency, we could say, by deciding for oneself. So on the one hand, we have subject as determined, controlled, surveilled. On the other hand, we have subject as responsible, as able to choose, to decide what to do, having some reflexive self-knowledge relation to the self. And he says that both meanings suggest a form of power that subjugates and makes subject to. So through your own agency, you get caught up in this power. And he says, that's part of what we're reacting against. And that's what we can study in studying power. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.